Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist System. Hey, everybody, I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And today we are very excited to have on Jamie Flinchball to talk about his new book, People Solve Problems. Jamie, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jake and HF. I'm really glad to be here. Um, excited to talk about the book, but also glad to meet both of you for the first time. Can you tell us just a little bit of your, your background and, and give the audience just a, a little understanding of what you do? Yeah, so so I've, I've worked in the lean community one way or the other uh, for the last 30 years, um, much in the beginning uh, inside companies, generally in a, in a leadership role, but also trying to make bring bring lean to life uh, with all the all the folks, all the teams uh, in the organization. Harley Davidson and Chrysler, DT Energy were three of those examples. I ran a consulting firm that I co-founded with Andy Carlino and Denny Pauly for 15 years. Worked with over 300 companies around the world, um, uh, some very large, some very small, government, hospitals, all sorts of stuff from from computer chips to potato chips, I like to say. Um, After selling that firm, I went to work on the executive team at Corvo Semiconductor for a few years, helping with the cultural transformation of that organization, working with uh, the CEO, Bob Bruggerworth, and then uh, retired a couple years ago and and now mostly uh, advise uh, either senior executives or internal change agents on on their roles and helping bring about uh, stronger, more resilient organizations. Well, Jamie, once again, <clears throat> thank you so much for being here. And, you know, Jake and I, we we both are, are fairly early in our lean journey and, and we're continually learning things. And, and we, we certainly like having guys like yourself, you know, your your first book, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to Lean, uh, lessons from the road. It, it, it in it you talk about the things that you've learned. Well, I do have into- a confession. Uh, when I when I was reading that in his book that he wrote, The Hitchhiker's Guide, I was I was looking through that and I, I really thought we were going to have the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on. And I was very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that exciting. <laughs> no, but anyway, you you talk about you know things that you've learned you know, along the way, lessons and pitfalls. And then and then your new book, uh, People Saw Problems, uh, it seems like that one of the pitfalls that people people run into or one of the mistakes that we make, including myself, when we when we start our lean journey is the first thing we want to look at are the are the tools that we use. OK, are we going to use Lean Six Sigma? Are we going to use the Toyota production system and A3s and Kata? But that's really the the wrong way to approach lean. And, and, and tell us a little bit about that. Give us your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. So so the, the tools are, are, are important. And, and I've I've uh, made efforts to to uh, learn as many of them as I can. Uh, I don't know if I've mastered any of them and, and that's OK. But so the tools are still valuable, but they aren't the things that really make a difference. Right. Just like you can't, you know, I, I like to say, you know, you can't, I can't take Yo-Yo Ma's cello and make beautiful music. I, I would have no idea what, a, what I'm doing. He could take a, a, a recorder or a, pretty much a, a 
something in my office and probably make better music than I could with his cello. Because um, he, because of his talent, because of his skill, because of the way he thinks. And just like in the medical profession, you can buy all the, you, I mean, capital equipment and the right tools and technology, super important. But you put that in the hands of the wrong person, they can't do a good job for uh, delivering care. So tools are important, but they're not more important than people, how people think, how they engage, how they behave. And so you get the behaviors right, you get the capabilities right, you get the systems that enable all that right, and then the tools then just make it all better. And, and, that, and I think all of lean and all of problem solving is very much like that. Uh, I, I did choose to write about problem solving in part because of its power, but in part also because along with the, the broader picture of lean, it's one of those areas where we've been really focused on the tools and I think miss miss the, the the other stuff that goes around it hmm. no i think that's really well said and, you know that was one of the questions i wanted to ask is you know you know why did you decide to write the book you know what were you hoping to accomplish with it yeah so so first of all i'll say i, I wrote a column for many years uh i don't know about 15 first for assembly magazine then for industry week uh probably not not uh, magazines that most of your listeners uh read but I always wrote for myself first. I, it, writing helps me clarify my thinking. Um, so whether I'm using that thinking uh, in, in a speech or a class or today, mostly in my coaching, um, it helps me clarify the key points I want to make. It helps the people I coach get through their challenges and hurdles. So, you know, I would have been, I, it would not have been a waste of time had I never published the book, but simply wrote it. And, and I, and I truly, truly believe that, um, really enjoyed but, but, the but for our listeners, that doesn't mean we don't, we don't want you to buy it. I'm, we don't. I'm happy to have people. Well, I care more <laughs> that they read it than they buy it. I appreciate people buying it, but I don't want people to buy it if they're not going to read it. Yeah, I understand. That's, that's the value add. So, um, but, but problem solving is ubiquitous. It, it is in every field. It is in lean companies, it is in non-lean companies, it is in infants, it is in high schools, it is in universities, it is in homes. We, we all solve problems. Sometimes we use tools, sometimes we do it collaboratively, sometimes we think about it, sometimes we do it just instinctively. So it is one of these ubiquitous things that almost because it is ever present, I think we we don't think about it enough. We don't think about how we're doing it. We don't think about our thought process, our behaviors, our, our our capabilities in doing it because we've we've learned how to do it. We do it all the time, and the the tools have become a, a sort of inflection point trying to shift people's problem solving. But I think if we're if we're all more thoughtful about how we go about solving problems, uh, we'll, we'll take the the vast capacity of human beings to think and put it to better use. Yeah, I, th- I think that's. That's so interesting because, you know, I think about myself and I say, well, yeah, I know how to solve problems. I solve problems every day, which is true. But the problem is I keep having to solve the same problems every day. And, and that's where the problem is. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I, I think there's there's two parts of that. One is a, a lot of us that have, uh, you know, came up through an educational background that teaches domain-specific problem solving. So I have I have three engineering degrees. 
I, I like to call myself a recovering engineer. You know, we got a 12-step program and everything. Actually, 11 steps. Engineers don't apologize uh, uh, for anything we do. But you know, whether it's whether it's a doctor, whether it's an architect, whether it's an engineer, we kind of learn how to solve problems in our domain. Um, and in a lot of ways, we have a lot of talent and rigor and, and process and heuristics and other things that help us do that. But then as soon as we step outside that domain, all of what we learned about how to think, um, about how to analyze, about uh, steps and sequence and heuristics kind of goes out the window. And you know, engineers are really bad at solving management problems and, and doctors are, are are not always good at solving systems problems, right? Because we don't carry the fundamentals that we learned in our domain into other, other practices. So that's, that's one part. The other side is that um, how we think about solving problems really depends upon, uh, I'll say, the, the, the boundaries we, we wrap around it, right? Am I, am I solving the problem for this minute, for this day, for this team? for this organization, for the world, right? Where do I want to draw the boundaries around that? And I, I think one of the reasons problems often come back uh, at us many times is because we, we, whether it was about time or about space, boundaries, boundaries we drew, often unconsciously, around the problems we're trying to solve day in, day out is just too small, right? So I'm trying to get rid of today's symptom. Um, hey, I'm late. Well, I could drive faster. That's how I got rid of today's problem, right? Well, what do I get about, how do I avoid being late tomorrow? Well, now I've got to think about a two-day or a 10-day or a 100-day problem and leave earlier, take different routes, plan ahead, do more things, right? So just thinking about this as I'm late, is that a today problem, a tomorrow problem, or an everyday problem? And are we, is that a conscious decision or is that just a reactive decision? And that that plays a big hand in that as well. So, so you talk about, you know, a method of problem solving or a mindset of problem solving that is that is the same, irregardless of what sector you're working at, whether you're at home, whether you're you're working for an, you know, a hospital, a clinic, uh, automobile, automobile manufacturer. It's, it's the way we approach and the way we think about the problem. Is that safe to say? Absolutely. Um, I think domain specifics bring about expertise, you know, past practice, scientific study, and certain tools and language that help help as shorthand for people to collaborate in that domain. But but some of the fundamental capabilities are, are the same for a doctor, a chef, uh, a, a parent, um, a school teacher. It's it's how we think about the problem, our relationship to it, our relationship to other people who experience that same problem. You know, so in the book, you, you talk a lot about how one of the mistakes we typically make is we jump to solutions as opposed to really understanding the cause of the problem. Can you talk, we, and we've talked about that some on the program before, but can you go into a little bit more detail of, of what you say in the book? Well, I, I think there's, 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 Three types of problems. One way to say this is that there's there's problems that we know the answer to, problems that we think we know the answer to, and problems that we don't know the answer to. And for starters, we don't triage our problems to define which one of those three things they are. Right. So if, if your gas gauge says E, we know the solution. 
uh, go to the go to the fuel station and fill her up. And and so we have so many of those problems that that becomes routine, right? That thought process of ooh, uh, I got to I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this other thing. And so we want all of our problems to feel the same way. And so it's just instinctive that we, as soon as we see a problem, we start thinking about what the solution is. But if we think we know the problem, we still only, or the solution, we, we only think we know, and it's worth at least testing and experimenting to know if our knowledge was sound. And if we don't know it, well, then we, we, have, a, we have a learning gap, we have a knowledge gap, and, and we have to go through a process, right? So if I put fuel in my car, and the gas gauge doesn't change, well, now is a good time to pull out a problem-solving tool or methodology or thought process and look at what, you know, let's draw a systems diagram of the fuel system and figure out all the different potential failure modes. I don't do that every time my gas gauge says E, but if I put fuel in and the gas gauge doesn't change, then that's a time to do it. Mm. And, and so I think, you know, often we measure our success as a problem solver by how quickly we come up with a solution. And, and that sounds good, right? I mean, nobody would argue, yeah, speed is important, absolutely. Coming up with solutions is important. But the, the important qualifier is an effective implemented solution, right? Coming up with a solution is, is only half the battle because A, you don't know if it's right until it's truly tested and B, it has to get implemented. And so if there's something I miss that prevents it from actually getting implemented with the, the people that have to make it work, um, then, then what's the value of having a good solution? So the, it should be speed to implementing an effective solution, not speed to having a solution. And we have to sort of reset our, our, our clocks around problem solving around what the real finish line should be. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. You know, we're coming up on the start of our next fiscal year, you know, comes up in October. And so a lot of our planning and processes for, for what we want to accomplish, setting out our, our goals for the year and getting our A3s kind of lined up is, is beginning. And, you know, Skip always will say, you know, the left side of the A3 really gets neglected. Um, nobody really thinks through the analysis, you know, but it's really only in this period of time where we're kind of thinking through the problem and, and you're right, it doesn't get thought through enough. But then throughout the year, all we care about is the action steps and how well you're implementing it. And we never kind of reassess, well, did they actually diagnose the problem right six months ago to begin with? And so, you know, it seems like you get a lot more credit for the action steps than for diagnosing the problem. We do, and 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 to be fair, we care about results, right? I mean, problem solving is about improving actual outcomes. So we should get more credit for success, let me say that, right? than, than effort, right? It's not about how many A3s can you fill out, right? It's, it's about how many results can you actually accomplish, how much you can move the needle. And so we should, but we, we, sh we give false uh, credit for activity in, in, in implementation, right? Oh, I did something, right? Or I have a solution or I made a change. Well, okay, that's, that's great, but that's not, that's not as important. Did you do the thing isn't as important as did it produce the result that you want, right? Just like, you know, uh, surgical choice 
or prescription choice is that's great. I, I did my I did the thing, right? <laughs> I did the task, but did it produce the result that you wanted? That's that's the evaluation. That's where what you actually care about is the condition that it changed. So so I think that's important. And and even you know you don't have to constantly rehash. Uh, you know, old thought process is behind the problem statement and the left hand side of the problem problem effort. But I I do think at a minimum it's worthwhile to constantly, maybe not constantly, repeatedly remind people of the problem statement and a kind of keep people oriented on, hey, this is is this is this still the problem statement that we're working on? And and B, is it still important? Because we'll keep, you know, especially if problem solving isn't super fast, uh, sometimes conditions change and, and what we were working on no longer is important. And, and that's OK, but abandon halfway through and go work on something that is there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. It's we, we, there's more problems than we have time to solve. So part of the role of the leader is making good choices about what to prioritize and doesn't always mean after things are done. Yeah, you know, Einstein, he was quoted as saying, if I had an hour to uh, to work on a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and then five minutes thinking about the solution. So I think Jake is exactly right. We spend way too much time jumping, jumping to the uh, solutions. And and Jake, I got to tell you this, you know, the other day I, I, I needed some weed eater gas and that was the first time that I had gone to a gas station since March. <laughs> I got an electric car, uh, Jamie. So, uh, and I almost forgot. How, I, I forgot. Well, how now to, you need uh, to get uh, you need to get an electric weed eater. I, I've replaced <laughs> all of my lawn equipment with electric. It's it's great. You know, I, never, I, I never winterized my lawnmower, and every spring I'd have to take it in and get it fixed. Yeah. How <laughs> how many how many carburetors have I uh, clogged yeah. up because because it, it gummed up in the in the carburetor on my on my weed eater? But yes, uh, well, Jamie, you know, tell us a little bit how important culture is when, when you're when you're trying to to develop problem solvers in your in your organization and in your team yeah so so i think you know so let's define culture at least in my term as shared behaviors right what are the common behaviors across a team an organization and a a country whatever that might be so so any one person can behave a certain way around problem solving they can have genuine intent uh in in how they engage with problem solving but Problem solving is what I like to call a context board. Um, it's not just you and the problem, almost ever. Sometimes it is, but very rarely it, other people are involved. Doesn't mean you need a team for every problem, but whether it's getting understanding of the problem or it's implementing a solution or it's having a sponsor, at some point there's interaction and engagement um, and alignment. And, and so, if we don't have consistent behaviors, which then again goes back to what culture is, it makes problem solving that much harder. And, and so as a, as a very specific behavior, you know, I believe deliberate learning in problem solving is, is super important. As I, as I said earlier, if I already know the answer, taking out a problem solving template is, is actually wasted effort. So problem solving is for when I have learning to do, when I have a knowledge gap, I don't know what the answer is. I might have three ideas, 
but I don't know. So I have to understand and analyze the problem. Well, if, if there's two people, if there's 10 people, I don't care what the number is. And some of us are approaching it like a template that we have to fill out, like where we're requisitioning, you know, paper clips and others treat it like a learning tool to help us explore and ask big questions. Well, we're going to have a very awkward time getting through the work. Right? And so, you know, some templates are there to be filled out with known information. Um, I kind of wish our tax forms were, you know, our tax forms should be designed that way. They're not, but they, they should be known information and known fields and just put it in the right box. And there's a lot of templates that should be like that. Problem solving is not one of them. And, and that's where, you know, the, the, the template to me is nothing more than a job aid. It's there to help you think. It's not there to fill out the box. It's not there to put the stuff in the fields. And, and, and I've seen some very smart people. They open up an A3 template. They get to current reality or current state or root cause or, you know, whatever each organization decides to call it. And then they start typing away with all the stuff they already know. Like, and it's a big list of all the things they know about that problem. And it's like, well, isn't it the things you don't know? They don't stop and go, what do we not know? What do we need to go learn? And so that's a that's a behavioral choice. Uh, you could still put that question on the template, say, what do you not know? Doesn't mean I have to engage with it in that way, right? And so how you interact with the problem and how you other, uh, interact with other people is, is critical to success in problem solving and particularly critical as culture because problem solving is a contact sport across the enterprise. And you, you talk a lot about, about transparency and you, you talk a lot about humility and you talk about a lot about trust. And I guess th those are, those are key, key behaviors that you have to have if, if you want to solve problems. Yeah, so 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 transparency. We we you know real simply, we can't fix the problems we can't see, and, um, and whether that's us or the team or the organization or our boss, right? You, you can't fix the problems you can't see. Um, I worked with one organization that had a had a template for tracking their problem solving improvements, and 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 basically it was problem solution or at least action. Problem, action, problem, action, problem, action. And then I was observing this meeting and they, they got to the end and then they kept talking about other problems. I'm like, why aren't they on the list? It's like, well, we don't know the answer yet. And, and uh, you know, somebody's going to ask us what the answer is if we write them down. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the point is, is that, you know, nobody wanted transparency of unsolved problems, only of successfully solved problems. Mm. And it just meant what, what can't we do? I think the vulnerability is is fundamentally about uh you know I, I might be part of the problem my team might be part of the problem a process owner i might be part of the problem and if we aren't willing to look at that uh, we're, we're we're sort of chopping off half the potential and and for some problems all of the potential of actually solving it and um and, and sort of acknowledge that we don't know everything because quite frankly if you already knew the answers then what on earth are you waiting for to not execute? Like you should be fired for not executing what you already know, right? Sure. So we should just acknowledge, we don't know everything, right? That we have learning to do about how to overcome challenges. And then the trust, you know, not just trust in intentions, but, but, but trust in, in how we respond to some of these very ideas like, hey, I have a problem. 
well, geez, I hope you're not working this weekend because I want to see it solved by by Monday. It was very different response than what help do you need to solve it? And and so, you know, we don't just grant trust. We have to build it deliberately. But overall, across an organization, teams come together to collaborate much more fluidly when there's a foundation of trust. And uh, and that's one of the leaders job to build. So, so in your book, you talk about three questions you should ask about any problem that you have. You know, is there a standard process? Was the standard process followed? And if there was a standard process uh, and it was followed, what's wrong with the standard process? Can you kind of uh, describe what you mean by those? Yeah, so, so I think what, what I observe over and over again is people want to create a new way to do things um, every time there's a problem. It's like, okay, how are we gonna how are we gonna build a process for that? Or how are we gonna what what new thing are we gonna do? And you know, the thing is, if we have a standard that that works um, and we just didn't follow it, well, don't redesign a new process, figure out why we didn't follow it, right? Just like a doctor says, Oh, you, you know, that, that thing you, you're treating me for, uh, I'm I'm still not healed. Well, I you know, I prescribe medicine. Are you taking it? <laughs> you know. Exactly. I, how many pills sit on a shelf un, unused for good and bad reasons, right? So, so yeah, uh, we didn't follow. Oh, I, I didn't follow your advice, but I'd still like you to treat me. Like that's uh, not how this works, right? So, um, so, so we have to understand the nature of the problem, and and before we start rushing ahead, and this is one of those triage steps, right? It's like a a problem where we don't even have a standard. It's like, I don't even care why this problem existed, because if we don't have a standard for that work, of course, we're going to have problems. That one and many others, because we don't have a we have variation because we don't have any consistency feeding how we do that thing. Right. And a standard could be a heuristic. It could be criteria. It could. I mean, it doesn't have to be a written procedure. It's, I think people are overly uh, narrow in their definition of what is a standard. But that's that's for another day. So. You know, if we don't have one, don't, don't even try to solve that problem. Start by saying we've got to stabilize this this thing, whatever it is that's wrong. And, you know, we say if you, if you did have one and didn't follow it, I mean, that could be a cultural problem. That could be a capacity problem. That could be an environmental problem. That could be a, uh, you know, capabilities, information. Why Why couldn't you follow it? Nine out of ten reasons why somebody some, you know, the 10th reason is I just chose not to, right? Okay, that, that without question, that's one of the reasons, but it's- It's rare. It's not the most common reason, absolutely. There's yeah. a bunch of legitimate reasons why somebody didn't or couldn't follow the standard. Let's fix that as the problem statement. And then of course, hey, I did all these things right. It's still not working. Okay, now let's, now let's do what most people think of as problem solving, but that's only one type. And again, mm -hmm. if you don't, you don't pick the right path, you're going to kind of solve the wrong type of problem. That's really interesting because I think I think a lot of in a lot of the things we do, there are some things we do we don't have stand in healthcare that we don't have standard work or standards, but there are a lot of things that that we do have standards, but a lot of times those standards just aren't just aren't carried out, and and, and we're so quick. To point the finger and to you know well you know that that's a bad person who they just didn't do the work and and as you said most of the time 
it's not. It, there, there's a specific reason why they could not follow follow the standard. Yeah, and and I'll I'll just use because uh, again I, I I like my own stories, but uh, I'll use a medicine example where um, I have I have chronic asthma. It's 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 moderate to severe. It's not really severe, but uh, it's it's somewhere in that higher edge edge of moderate. So I've taken multiple medicines for for most of my adult life. And and there was I had I had like two I took in the morning, the same two I took in the evening. And then one of them changed to a one a day. And and so my compliance of taking the other one that was still two a day went down because <laughs> um, it wasn't you know taking both of them together was my routine. And that routine changed and my 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 process changed for taking the medicine. And and, and honestly, and I've, I've really actually enjoyed all of the different uh, asthma doctors I've had over the years, particularly the one I work with now. But I don't know if I've ever had a doctor say, are you taking it every day as prescribed? They just kind of, well, you keep filling it. So I'll assume the answer is yes. Um, but but it, it really was a conversation of, oh, yeah, I've I've changed my routine. I haven't been very good at taking this other medicine and either I need to change my process or we need to find another one a day medicine that 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 matches up with that. And so, so that's an example. I just wasn't following the standard and it was it was causing symptoms, um, no matter how good my intentions were. Right. Again, we we like to think oh, somebody isn't doing what they what what they're supposed to do. Bad intentions. Right. And so then we ask for good intentions. And that's 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 a great root. That's a great solution if the root cause is bad intentions. But most of the time, bad intentions is not actually the root cause. Absolutely. Jamie, as we, as we gosh, we could talk to you all day. But uh, unfortunately, we uh, we try to keep it around a half hour. But a, as we start wrapping this up for our listeners there, you know, we have a lot of physicians out there. We have a lot of non physicians. But but. A com- you know, one thing common is that we have a lot of listeners who are very early in their lean journey. They they may be just wanting to start. And with regards to your books, you know, do you need would you suggest reading the Hitchhiker's Guide to Lean first before you, you read uh, People Solve Problems? Are, are they? No, I, do you, I think do you need to read one before the other. I don't think so. I, I think they are. But you absolutely need to read both of them. Well, of course. course. Um, I would say they exist for for very different reasons. I I believe people solve problems. Everybody's engaged in problem solving. Every manager, leader, executive has teams of people solving problems, whether it's formal or not. And so whether you're doing lean or not, I think there's lessons to be learned there. I think Hitchhiker's Guide for Lean is, is more... It's both both more broad in terms of sometimes the topics it covers, but also more narrow where it really is about, hey, I want to be on a lean journey. And um, some of the fundamental themes like like uh, culture, behaviors, thinking are are consistent because that's been sort of the lens I brought to all of this for almost 30 years. And but uh, but, yeah, I think they're they're different books for different 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 challenges. Sure. Well, Jamie, once again, thank you so much for uh, for being on the podcast, and uh, I really look forward to reading your books. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad to participate. You guys ask great questions, and 
uh, you know, really hope everybody is, if, if nothing else, just more thoughtful about how they engage in the problems around them. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you again for coming on. And thank you everybody for listening.